I've never had visions of sugar plum dance in my head. Have you? Have you ever had visions of sugar plum dance in your head? Have you? Have you? Have you? I never have. But I have had vision of Christmas. I've had, had visions that really opened up a longing. I've had uh, the, the, the music of the season touching on something in me that is a longing for something sublime. I've had um, experiences and memories of, of this season where just looking out into the stars and wondering and even knowing the difference at a young age, you know, that that's not a star, that's actually a planet, uh, but still having a sense of wonder at what it must have been like to see the star that guided the Magi. I've had a, a sense of vision opened up for me from the themes and the stories and the promise that this season elevates. And Solomon said that God has set eternity in our hearts. So we have a hunger for the eternal, for the sublime. And sometimes this season can tap into it. And you know, that longing, that ideal can create a vision or a picture of what we want this season to look like. And I think sometimes we put that onto a gathering or a meal or even, you know, our expectations. And then comes reality. And the smallest little smudge can ruin that picture. Maybe, maybe last year as you decorated the tree, it, it caused a lot of conflict and somebody broke something and maybe the lights weren't put away and you cursed yourself again for not wrapping them up the same way, you know, the way you should have, and now you've got to unwrap them, and, and now it's all, you know, just the smallest smudge can ruin that ideal picture of what those longings, those longings painted for you in your imagination. But isn't it amazing that the longings are there? Chesterton said that fairy tales paint a picture of golden apples, that they paint apples golden so that we can remember that wild moment when we discovered they were green or red. You see, God has set eternity in our hearts. And I think part of what I'm hoping for this season for us as we look through these stories, these familiar stories again, is that it will touch on and open up for us a sense of wonder by looking at the longings themselves, at the yearnings themselves at eternity that's set in our hearts, and to see a sense of wonder in these stories, to open it up for us again, starting with the fact, the eerie and mysterious fact that God has planned all along what we see in Jesus. From the Word of God, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. 
the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let's look at the wonder of God's plan this morning. The wonder of God's plan. That Jesus was the plan, the plan A from the very beginning. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophet, the priest, and the king. The once and future prophet, the once and future priest, the once and future king. You know the, the story of Camelot, of King Arthur. He's called the once and future king. You know, he's a, he's a Christ figure. It's the idea that with the right leader, with the right humility, and the right confidence, the right kind of leadership, there it makes all of us better. And I think that's, that's really what we experience with Jesus. Let's look at Jesus and look back at these Old Testament passages that prefigure, that foretell Jesus as once and future prophet, priest, and king. First, Jesus was the once and future prophet. The prophets, the role of the prophet was to bring a word from God to people. A word from God to people. The once and future prophet. You say, well, if he's his son, how does that have anything to do with being a prophet? Well, Hebrews helps us out with this. Hebrews 1, 2 says this. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. You can see the link there between the son given, the son of the most high, verse 32. Look back at it again. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And so this, this word from God, word made flesh, surely this is what, what, what John was picturing when John said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, as it says in, in Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. You see, the coming to fruition, what the prophets foretold, all of what the prophets foretold was that God would present himself, God who would dwell in the midst of his people without blowing them away. I mean, we just, we just, uh, we just um, sang that we're standing in God's glory. Now, I think what that is, is is sort of an ideal of what we will be uh, standing in. One day, we'll be, um, we'll be able to stand in God's glory. But if we were truly standing in God's glory, uh, you know, the, the, the candlelight of the sun is nothing compared to the glory of God. I mean, just take the whole 
power of the universe and concentrate it in one spot and then stand in the middle of that. Just imagine standing on Mercury itself. We can't even imagine what it would be like to stand in the holiness of God, that God, the God who was creator of all this power. To be in his presence is to be in peril as broken people. But God would dwell in the midst of his people. So he sent his word. He sent his word. You say, well, Tim, what's the big deal about sending a word? I mean, that's not dwelling in the presence of, of his people. That's not God himself showing up. Well, let me illustrate this a little bit, what's going on here. And then let's bring it back to Jesus. My great, great grandfather was a poet. I mean, he was a, a, a lawyer, but he was also a poet. I, I, I know, it's kind of a strange thought to think, maybe it's an oxymoron, a, a lawyer poet. But he, sorry, lawyers, we love you, but we have fun with you too. Uh, so he was, he, he was an attorney, uh, but he loved writing poetry. And uh, during his engagement, which was a year and a half long, he, he had to be away from my great-great-grandmother. And so for that, the course of those 18 months, all they had were letters. This is my great-great-grandfather. So, believe it, you know, so that was like before, before the, the smartphone. I mean, you know, um, it, it before Alexander Graham Bell, in fact. And so they only had letters. Can you imagine and not, not hearing from someone you're betrothed to? Can you imagine what it was, was like going to, the, going to the mailbox and the anticipation of that? And then seeing this letter, this crisp envelope, and then just bringing that out and feeling that in your hands and wondering, now what does this envelope contain for me today? And, and the longing that you would have for a word from your beloved and opening that up and then reading. I, I, I have it. I can show you it sometime uh, if you're interested, but this long poem that he wrote to her as, um, as their wedding drew nearer. And to have that word, though, is to have a part of the person. You see, Jesus is the word made flesh. Tyler alluded to uh, Philippians chapter 2. That, that Jesus that didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. This is what Micah is saying, that, that he's not coming uh, in a day, in an age when, when um, you, you know, in New York City, in Times Square on New Year's Eve to make some grand announcement. He's saying all it takes is just one little seed of God's presence to set things starting in the right direction again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, this was God's plan all along. The prophets foretold it. So whether it was Moses and the bull, bulrushes, you know, out of the, the smallness of a baby who then came to confront a king, or, you know, whether it's Isaac, you know, who was going to be sacrificed, and then, you know, it sort of rubs it in. It says, Abraham, take your son, or Abram, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. And then, and then saying, God will provide the lamb. Stay your hand. God will provide that. And the whole sacrificial system. 
the perfect spotless lamb that once a year, someone, a priest like Zechariah, would enter into the holiest place, the holy of holies, to, 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 to sacrifice the, the blood of a lamb in place of us. Now here, from small places, is the fulfillment of a great promise. See, Jesus was a once and future prophet who fulfilled the promise of God and his plan. Jesus was the once and future priest who not only brought a word from God to us, but brought a word from us to God. Well, what does that mean? That means that there's a word that needs to be spoken, a word of truth, a word of justice. And Jesus is the once and future priest who fulfilled, fulfilled that word, justice and truth, before a holy God. Not just before the covenant, Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, but for all time, Jesus fulfilled that sacrifice. That's why it says in Isaiah, <laughs> I mean, we know, I mean, you can, you can find, you, you know that from the Dead Sea Scrolls, those, those, those uh, manuscripts that come from those clay pots in Qumran, they date back uh, well before, well before uh, Jesus walked the earth. It said this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53. Let that sink in. Written a thousand years before Jesus. Is that not eerie? Is that not eerie? It should be. You know, when I was in seminary, I was worried that deconstructing all these and understanding literary criticism and understanding the redactive process and all of these different um, modern ways of taking apart a text would, would somehow uh, denigrate my confidence in the word of God. On the contrary, on the contrary, began to see that Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament, that God's plan to sacrifice, to bring his own self in the place of us for our sake. When you, when you see how, how uh, the complexity of the way the word came together and how that word gels around this plan, how much more mysterious is this word? You see? And what is it that Jesus does? He puts himself in our place. By his wounds, we are healed. Well, why does that set things right? Why is that a word of justice, a word of truth? It's a little like this. When, when Beth and I were leaving... Uh, we were, you know, coming down here. We were going to uh, to move from Signal Mountain. We went out to um, we went out to dinner, and we kind of splurged. We went to a really nice place, and uh, I kept waiting for the check. And uh, finally, I I I hailed the server over. And I just said, I, you know, I've been waiting for um, the paycheck if you, uh, for the for the uh, the check for the, to pay for the check. And she said, Well, it's already been covered. I said, Really? And I started looking around. I wonder, who was it? You know, so somebody knows us. That's so nice. Somebody knows us. I love that. Have you ever done this for somebody else? It's kind of fun to do this and then just kind of slip out the door. That's what they did. We never figured out who it was. By the way, we're going to be eating at Liam's tonight. About, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but imagine the server coming and saying, you know, somebody, somebody already paid for your check, but you need to pay too. Would that be just? Would that be right? Of course not. You don't pay twice for one bill. You know, a lot of times we think it's just so powerful that God was merciful, but isn't it amazing that God was just? You see, in the justice of God is our mercy. Do you see how it works? He's not going to pay, he's not going to demand payment from us for something, a bill he's already paid. By his wounds, we are healed. You see, the word of truth that the priests brought before God, the expiation of our sin, that, that God, is a, God is a holy God of truth. And if we are people of the lie, then we need to speak a word. We need someone to speak a word of truth for us to put things right. Jesus is the once and future priest who brought the payment that he did not deserve so that we could get what we did not deserve. You see the plan unfolding? You see the whole Old Testament coming together and coming into fruition in Jesus. Well, finally, Jesus is not only the word from God to us, the once and future prophet, not only the once and future priest who speaks a word before God on our behalf, but he's the once and future king who speaks a word of good over all, over all things, the renewal of all things, not just, not just some part or psychologized part of what we think of as one slice of our life, that sort of part of our life where we say, well, this is sort of the, the part where we, we, we have hope or meaning or we, we have some sort of sense that we'll have pie in the sky by and by. No, 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 no. Jesus is the once and future king. Jesus came to plant a seed, a mustard seed. That's all it takes. Why a mustard seed? Because mustard seed is the smallest, smallest little seed, but it, it takes over. It's like mint, you know? I mean, I wanted to plant mint one time, and Beth said, no, you're going to ruin the garden. It goes everywhere. I mean, it's just like, okay, this is what Jesus means, that mustard will take over everything. See, this is our hope. Jesus, the once and future king, he talks about the kingdom more than anything else. Why? Because the kingdom is coming. The renewal of all things, not just some psychologized part of what we need, of some longing that we have in our minds, in our hearts for uh, something meaningful and enduring, but that there is a kingdom and that all things will be renewed through Christ. Verses 32 and 33 says this, he will be great and he will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, what's going on there? You think of Psalm 110, it says David is writing this psalm, Psalm 110, David is writing the psalm and he says, the Lord says to my Lord, right? And Jesus brings this up to the Pharisees in the New Testament. He says, if David, if David is referring to someone who's going to be one of his descendants, right, 
his son. In other words, I'm using son as sort of great, 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 someday grandson. If David is referring to his son, then why does he also call him Lord? Lord. Or you can see in Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, A shoot will come from the, the stump of Jesse. A shoot will come out of the stump of De- Jesse. What are these images? All these images in the Old Testament are so consistently lined up around the nature of God in Jesus Christ. The, what we see revealed of God through Christ. And the story of the gospel. And the way that things unfold for Jesus' life. You see it time and time and time again. Pilate, in speaking, Pontius Pilate, in speaking to Jesus, he says, are you a king? He says, you have said so. And he says, he says, well, tell me about your kingdom. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, not out of this world, not of the, it's not saying it's not of the stuff of this world. He's saying it's not of the nature of this broken world. And so what Jesus is doing is he's planting a seed for a coming kingdom. It's powerful when, it's powerful when someone who has character even quietly, quietly demonstrates integrity in the midst of chaos, isn't it? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who endured so much in the gulag, the Russian gulag, he, he said, one word of truth will outweigh the whole world when the whole world seems to be deceitful, when the whole, whole world seems to be against you. How powerful it is to speak one word of truth in the midst and to see one person lined up with that word. What's the best way to send a message? What's the best way to send a message? Well, to wrap it in a person. That's the best way to send a message. Is to wrap it in a person. Why do, why do we call him Jesus? Jesus is based on the Old Testament name Joshua or Yeshua. Uh, Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus' name means. Jesus is the Greek of the Hebrew Joshua, which means the Lord saves. You see how it comes together? That means that all of what the prophets say, all of what the stories say, you're talking about Jonah, you're talking about Noah, all of what the sacrificial system prefigures, all of what, all of what uh, Israel experiences through the desert and on the mountain, whether you're talking about a, a burning bush or whether you're talking about crossing the Jordan, it all comes together around Jesus. There's a word that Jesus uses at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, tale in Genesea, and it really means Genesis again or born again. It means the renewal of all things. You know, so, you see, we have this longing because God has set eternity in our hearts. And what we're longing for is not just a great experience this Christmas season. It's not just some fomenting of nostalgia. It's not just a, a beer commercial with Clydesdales running through, you know, some beautifully forested, snowy scene. It's not just some song or moment of candles and music and your family gathered around. 
It's what all of these things hint at. The mustard seed of a hint that God is in the renewal business. And you can begin then, this season, to let these images, to let the music, to let the story, to let your worship begin to open up for you again the yearnings for a home and a kingdom that is coming where Jesus reigns as once and future prophet, once and future priest, once and future king. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for a good word that speaks of a great plan. We thank you that that word, Jesus, is a word that has found a seedbed in our hearts. And we pray that through this season, you would open up in us a sense of wonder, not only for the day, not only for the season, not only for the coming year, but God, enduring all life long, that we may lean in, lean forward, press on towards a kingdom that is coming. For we pray it in Jesus' name.